0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Psychcast Podcast, second season. My name is Ashton Noon, and this podcast is about psychology and mental health. But this time, with a new season, we have a new topic, which is life in healthcare and the process of getting there. This will range from therapists to sleep medicine professionals to medical students, so make sure to stay tuned. Welcome to the Sidecast podcast. Today our guest is Dr. Palayo, who is the author of How to Sleep and a clinical professor at Stanford University. He is the president of the California Sleep Society and the chair of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine's Political Action Committee, as well as being on the boards of the National Sleep Foundation and Start School Later organization. So, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for having me. So, being a neurologist, professor, author, and part of several organizations, I want to ask where your interest began in sleep and neurology and like how you chose your career.
1: Yeah, actually, I don't think of myself as a neurologist. I'm a sleep medicine specialist. I trained oh, in neurology okay. as a foundational
0: thing. I see, I see. My
1: curiosity about sleep began when I was a teenager. I think I was either 12 or 13 years old and had a lucid mm-hmm. dream. You probably know what that oh, is, when you become yeah. aware okay. of a dream's a dream. So I was curious, why do we sleep and I was interested in behavior. It was mm-hmm. TV show I used to watch, the Bob Newhart show. They taught psychologists. I thought, that looks like a fun thing to do. understand behavior. Yeah. And then I became curious. We'll do animal's dream. And I just had this curiosity about mm-hmm. it. And then uh, I was thinking about going to medical school. I was applying. And I was working in a research lab, cleaning glassware. They were doing mm-hmm. kidney research, nephrology research. And I just needed money. I, just needed, to, I needed to work. So I was cleaning glassware. And when I applied to medical school, the graduate students who were there, one of them asked me, well, what do you want to study in medical school? And for the first time, I was maybe 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. I, f- I said it out loud for the first time. I said, I want to study sleep. And they laughed at me. They laughed. Really? And it kind of hurt. They laughed. Wow. they i like, wow. Because that was the first time I ever said it out loud. And they would say, yeah. these were older people than me. They were already grad students. And they laughed at me. And they said, nobody does that. And I said, well, I'll do it. And- the next time I went to the lab, one of the uh, grad students I was there, he actually had a, a book with him. He brought, he brought me a book. And he says, if you want to learn about sleep, there's a textbook that is about neuroscience. It has a chapter on sleep. So for the first time, I was able to read about sleep in a proper academic way. And sure enough, they described some experiments done in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, excuse me, describing uh, how cats can dream. And they described the man in Bill Demet's work and how he discovered REM sleep. So I got all excited, I was got to read this stuff. When I got to medical school, I got to medical school without really being prepared to be a doctor. The most obvious thing about being a physician, it didn't occur to me I was gonna take care of sick people. Right, I, was yeah. just, I was just like, if you like math and science, go to medical school. I'm like, okay, I mm-hmm. like math and science. And um, I didn't know anything about doctor salaries. I didn't know anything about the work hours. I didn't know anything about being on call. Oh, I didn't have nice. any physician mentors. Uh, I come yeah. from, a, from a pretty modest background. And I was surprised at what was involved. But by pure luck, I happened to go to medical school that had one of the few sleep clinics in, in the country. It was in the Bronx, in New York. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, guys who became my roommate later, who's now a neurosurgeon, said, You know, there are these lists of lectures, and we can go to anyone. And it was internal medicine, GYN, hypertension, mm-hmm. nephrology. And in the list, they had sleep. Oh. I said, I want to go. I want to go there. And um, we went there, took a little bus, a little shuttle. And when I, um, I got there, there's only three guys in the room talking among themselves and these two medical students. We'd only be medical students for one week, yeah. right? We knock on the doors, and say, can we come in? And they're talking among themselves about hypopneas and apneas mm-hmm. and looking at a box of paper and looking at x-rays. And at the end of their, their case conference, they said, okay, goodbye. And we left and I said to my friend, we must have come on the wrong day. There must be a day <laughs> where they talk about dreams and psychology and, and, yeah. and, and things like that. But no, I went, I went another time, the same thing. Then I, uh, I went a third time and somebody was talking about insomnia and then I just, I just kept showing up. I'm like, there's got to be something more to this if it's mm-hmm. sleep. And that was 1984 and they had a prisoner there. I never met a prisoner before. Huh. And there, yeah. was, there was a guard with a prisoner and it was a daytime test. And the chief technologist, who's now seen me show up a few times unannounced, mm-hmm. waved me over and said, look at this. And a little black and white monitor. I watched this guy. And they were putting him on a, on a CPAP machine, I think to help them breathe better. Yeah. And I'm uh, looking at the, the pen and the ink, the polygraphs that you've seen before and scratching mm-hmm. the paper. And as soon as they put the machine on this guy, all of a sudden he goes into REM sleep, jumps up on the matter. he jumps out, out, out of the bed and tries to run out of the room. And he's a prisoner. So oh. the cop, the guard stops him. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened. And he explains to me that he was in jail because he was involved in a knife, in a knife fight. Uh-huh. And that as soon as they put the machine on him, he suddenly had this vivid dream about being in the knife fight and it scared him so much, he jumped out of bed. And mm-hmm. now I know it's called REM rebound. It's a phenomenon that we see in extreme sleep apnea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I thought, wow. And at the time in in, in the Bronx, where I was in the mid 80s, it was a horrible time. There was a lot of AIDS. People were dying left and right. It was mm-hmm. really difficult times. And I couldn't help but notice that the guy that ran the sleep clinic seemed to, most of his patients were easy to treat. They got better. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to do this. So from medical school on, I was just focusing on being a sleep doctor. When I, when I was actually applying to medical school, because I was interested in behavior, I thought I'd become a psychiatrist. But the guy that ran the sleep clinic was a neurologist. And I thought, okay, this is more interesting. And he told me it's easier for a neurologist to learn psychiatry than for a psychiatrist to learn neurology, because the way training programs were set up back then. And now there's combined programs, and it's easier. But at the time, in the 80s, that's, that's how he described it to me. Right. So I said, well, I want to do sleep, so I'll do neurology like you. And at the time, I thought I had an affinity for working with children, and it seemed easy to work with kids, because they had all this AIDS everywhere in this crisis. Oh, right. yeah. And I thought, okay, that'd be interesting. So I asked the guy, Dr. Thorpey, is there such a thing as child neurology? And he goes, yeah, well, I know the guy that runs the program. I'll give him a call. And, they off- and I met the guy. They interviewed me. Um, I had some, some funny things happen along the way, but they offered me a position as a child neurology fellow in order to do sleep medicine. Mm-hmm. So... I got into it, it had to, to do pediatrics and I had to do neurology as a pathway into sleep. But my focus was from the first week of medical school to be a sleep doctor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard your, your uh, podcast with Dr. Uh, Arakpo, and I really enjoyed yeah. it. <laughs> and it's a little bit different how uh, Nandy, N- Nandy and I worked together, mm-hmm. how he kind of weaved in and out and found his way. Right, uh, right. It's a little bit different. He kept changing paths. And most of my friends did make decisions like that. Mm-hmm. But the guys who know me from the beginning of medical school always said kind of, I was kind of weird that I just focused on sleep, which is a relatively yeah. rare thing to do, and that was all I wanted to do, because I simply thought it was the easiest thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Like, and we find things that we have affinity for easier, but I thought this was an easy field, and yeah. I, I just found it interesting. So that's how I started doing it, and the path for me was, uh, after four years of medical school, two years of pediatrics, so a of neurology, to finally then do a sleep fellowship Mm-hmm. And I was thinking the whole time, I was just going to stay in New York. That's where I was born. I was born in Manhattan. And after that six-year process, I told Dr. Thorpey, the guy who ran the sleep lab, listen, I'm almost done. I'm ready to do my sleep fellowship. He said to me, well, that's fine. I've been doing this for six years, hanging around the lab, but I have no funding this year. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I supposed to do now? He says, well, apply somewhere else and then come back. So where am I going to go? And he said, well, you can go to Stanford. You can go to this place. You can go to that place and apply. And I thought, don't never take me to Stanford. Um, but I applied. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Sanford did not have any openings, but as a courtesy, they invited me to apply because yeah. as a favorite doctor therapy, they invited me to apply for when there's no job to there. So I'm, you know, I don't have much money uh, and, and I used what money I had to, to fly to California uh-huh. uh, and I got interviewed and they said, it's great. You know, you'd be a good candidate, but we don't have any funding for you. So I'm like, okay, I'll go back and somebody else offered me a job in, um, somewhere else in La Jolla and I had a job offer in uh, Stony Brook and I got to go there. But then when I got back to New York, I got a call from Stanford saying, listen, we found some funding that we can provide you for a year, so please come, but we lost your application. Please apply again. So my year, I was the only guy who applied. I had to apply twice. Mm -hmm. And I know what really happened. Now I know because I've been around the system. They just threw away my application thinking there was no money. And then when they realized (laughs) that they found the money, they had to tell me to fill it out again. (laughs) So that's what happened. I so see. I came to um, California not knowing anything about the Bay Area, mm-hmm. just knew one thing. Sleep medicine began at Stanford, and that's where Dr. Thorpey was, and excuse mm-hmm. me, where Dr. Gimeno was, and Dr. DeMette. And um, I've, since then, that was 1993, mm-hmm. and I always say it's hard to go back to the Bronx once you've been to Palo Alto, and I've been here ever since. Yeah. So it's been a wonderful mm-hmm. career, but it's been a lot of luck. Just uh, I happened to be, to be lucky, or I was determined to do sleep. Right. And I've been happy ever since I've done sleep medicine. It's a great field, and I love it. And uh, never looking back.
0: Right. Have you seen a lot of like growth in the field? Because you said what 1980s, like no one was, no one knew about like sleep medicine field. But now, obviously, a lot more Mm -hmm. people are doing it. Like, do you think? Oh yeah,
1: Uh, I've seen a ton of growth. Uh, When Mm -hmm. I applied to the sleep fellowship, uh, there were entire states that didn't have sleep labs yet. Entire states. Yeah. And everybody told me that, no problem, you're going to get a job no matter, you're going to make a ton of money. They told me just finish your uh-huh. fellowship and then you can go wherever you want. You'd be the king of sleep in Oklahoma or the king of sleep in, <laughs> in Kansas or something. But once we got to the Bay Area, we just really fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. My wife and I just thought it'd be a good place to raise children. Right, yeah. And we started a family and it just, just seemed to be a really good place to be. Mm-hmm. And I just liked it, and especially once you get, a lot of the jobs that are being offered then were like part-time sleep, part-time neuro, part-time sleep, part-time something else. And Stanford said, you can do full-time sleep. And when I talked to older guys who are sleep guys, they said, you got a dream, no pun intended, you have a dream job. You're, you're yeah. doing sleep medicine full, uh, full 100% at the, the top place in the world. Yeah. And I just, that was it. So yes, I see a lot of growth, like medication-wise, the machines, CPAP machines have gotten better, medications are available, greater awareness of this. And the fact that you know the sleep has become greater awareness is the fact that people make jokes about it. Yeah. They have commercial <laughs> TV, you have stand-up comedians doing things i tell you one time, I don't have to sort of work on, on the radio because, um, because we're not on video, but when my son uh, was uh, doing college tours,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we went to Santa Barbara for a tour, and um, it was late at night, and I'm driving back home because I had a patient the next day, and he had to go to school. I got pulled over by uh, a police officer because I was going over the speed limit, mm-hmm. and the officer said, you know, what, what's the hurry? I'm like, well, I just finished giving a lecture in Santa Barbara, and I got to get home because of my son to school. He goes, well, what were you lecturing on? I said, about sleep. Mm-hmm. And the police officer puts his hands to his face, covers his, his face and his nose with his one hand and goes, oh, I have one of those machines. And I've learned since then that that's a universal hand gesture to say really? sleep apnea, put, put your whole hand over your face. And I said to him, well, oh. you know, they're not like that anymore. You, they don't cover your full face that way all the time. <laughs> they're actually kind of like this, but you can't really do that. But they're just yeah. a little They're a little smaller. Mm-hmm. And I happen to have a CPAP machine and a mask in the back of my car. So let me show you. And, the off- and I showed him what the machine looked like, and, and my car was a hybrid, so I was able to plug it in.
0: Yeah.
1: And the police officer goes on to tell me that his um, snoring was so bad that his wife had left him. He was getting divorced over this, mm-hmm. and he was going to move away. And when I showed him the new CPAP machines and how what they were like, the guy gave me a hug
0: uh-huh.
1: and didn't give me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so I so, was so like, okay, great. You know, one, one more time, you know, it was kind of cool. Yeah, 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 and my son was like looking at this whole thing I thought he would think oh that's so cool you didn't get a ticket and instead he was like you deserve the ticket you're going over the speed limit you should use your privilege <laughs> to get out of a ticket I'm like okay the perspective but yes the privileges the point, of sleep the, medicine but the reality is that everybody sleeps
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, everybody sleep compared to neurology where in general we have some awful illnesses that are incurable like strokes and horrible neurological diseases Alzheimer's Parkinson's sleep involves the brain involves the mind but almost mm-hmm. everybody gets better so my gig, my job is fun, because uh-huh. it's unusual for my patients not to get better. And I can I look at a stranger that. in the eye who's had years and decades of suffering and say, hey, you know, we know what's going on and we know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. And usually people just say, they wish they take care of it sooner. So it's, it's really a wonder, wonderful field to, to be in and I encourage more people to do it. And the main problem we have with sleep is that since everybody sleeps, there's just not enough sleep doctors to go around. Right. So what we need to do is educate. People are so happy to do shows like yours. Where we can inform people about this, and also to get the knowledge down to other healthcare providers, nurses, school nurses, for example, we need to learn about sleep disorders. Those teen, so many teenagers have them. Healthcare practitioners and primary care doctors.
0: Sure, sure.
1: It, it goes all around. Everybody sleeps.
0: Right. And then I remember, uh, Doctor Korea was telling me about like, what, one billion people around the world are affected by, uh, what was it, sleep apnea? So like, yeah, I was after that, I was hearing that, and then like, oh wow, it's a lot. of, Really wide range of people who are affected by I don't know, sleep, like sleep, well, and think, like sleep think disorders. Think about it. And yeah, like I mean, yeah, they've been described as, as kind of one
1: of the, one of the biggest unmet public health care problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, just think, people ha- on any given night, half the people don't think they slept well.
0: Right. I see. On any
1: given night, right? Mm-hmm. Did you sleep mm-hmm. well last night? Well, half half will say yes, half will say no. All the industrial accidents that occur from it, and it's not just sleep disorders. It's can you improve your overall health? It's not just about diseases. Is if you think about self-care, the concept that we talk about, you know, taking care of yourself and wellness, what can make you feel better than getting a good night's sleep? Right. No, really, nothing really can make you feel better on a consistent basis than getting a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. So, and I compare it a little bit to, um, to cars. I don't know if you're into cars or not, but let's say if you have a sports car
0: uh-huh.
1: and you're stuck on the highway, highway five and bumper to bumper traffic, the manufacturer may recommend high octane gas, but it's not going to make any difference when you're stuck on the highway. Right, right. But if you put that same car on a racetrack and you put in better quality fuel, you'll get better performance. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is there room for improvement in your life? Even if you're doing well, mm-hmm. is there room for improvement and best bang for the buck? Like you can improve your grades by getting more sleep. And parents, mm-hmm. I see kids and adults in parents will say things to you, well, you know, Johnny's doing okay mm-hmm. in school. And I'm like, second grade, isn't that hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point, right? Yeah. The real issue is how competitive a world is going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. And what can we do now so that he's he or she is in a better position for later? And one of the things we talk about is not just treating the patients, but in a bigger scale, how to prevent it from happening in the first place. Because, for example, the most common thing we do with the sleep apnea, where people have trouble breathing and block off their breathing, when you think, oh, somebody's overweight, it's their fault they have sleep apnea. Well, that's only partially true, mm-hmm. because a lot of thin people have sleep apnea. Sure. And the question is, well, why did they get sleep apnea in the first place? Well, now we know it's to do with their skeletons develop in childhood so now we go from not only recognizing the disease to treating the disease to now preventing the disease right Right, and that's where the role of orthodontics for example and things i'm sure you've been hearing about uh, and learning about that Mm -hmm. there's a potential to actually prevent this from happening in the first place and for some people it's just taking care of the allergies those little childhood allergies the second and third grade second two and three-year-olds four-year-olds have maybe setting them up for sleep apnea when they're adults
0: I see, I see. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much to Dr. Palayo for joining me today. I loved hearing about your experiences with the sleep medicine field and how you became interested in it, as well as learning about sleep apnea. This was the first part of my interview with Dr. Palayo, and make sure to listen to the rest of the interview in the next episode. Thank you everyone for listening, and goodbye.